listening to the Distinctive Christianity Podcast, where we clarify distinctions between Mormon and Credo-Christian thought. I'm Brendan, here with... Skyler. Skyler. Almost dropped the mic. Yes. Too early. Yeah, you hadn't even Too early for that. Yet. Yeah. Can't mic drop right now. All right. This is... Uh, we'll blame this on Ed. <laughs> Thank you, Edward. Yes. There we go. There we go. Oh. I'm kind of in a somber mood today. Yeah. Yeah. Should I say why? You can say why. So this is going to be a little, especially when this is released, it'll be very belated, but it's even belated when we're recording it. My favorite Mormon, I think I could, Fairly say that. Mm -hmm. Maybe ever. Certainly the most important to me. uh, Passed away. Yep. Um, Someone that I had personal connection with. Um, Yeah, his name was John F. Hall. John Franklin Hall. Um, Rest in peace. Um, Don't know why I didn't find out sooner. I'm not on social media. So um, if someone hadn't personally reached out to inform me I wouldn't I, I didn't know and I <laughs> yeah um, and everybody just assumes that everybody's on social media these days exactly so. yeah I have a friend who like he and his wife had a baby <laughs> I, I just found out yesterday as well <laughs> um and that's good news um John F. Hall um probably more than any other male in my life uh um shape shape my life mm-hmm. um he was one of the few people who saw my desire for knowledge and uh, wanted to help cultivate that and fill it and gave me the good books. And, yep. um, you he, know, I'm BYU professor. He was a BYU professor, in fact, uh, yep. chair. And, uh, you know, went to Princeton and uh, Penn. Um, I've got a couple books that he literally gave me even. Um and I've got all my marks and stuff. Uh, In the Beginning by Alistair McGrath. And The Nature of Law by uh, Alan Watson, who's an expert in Roman law. Mm-hmm. And uh, these are just two Because that's books. what he taught. Yes, primarily. he was an expert in Roman law. Expert in, Roman. in fact, uh, I've got the Anchor Bible Dictionary here. And just as an example, he wrote the entry on Appeal to Caesar. Mm-hmm. And fantastic scholar of the Etruscans. Mm-hmm. of the Romans in the age of Augustus. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was talking to you before, and I, I'm not even sure where to start in terms of his influence on me. You know, definitely a Mormon believer. Had his issues with LDSism, especially culturally and, mm-hmm. and all that. I mean, he, he thought the call of Mormonism was deeper into the intellect not the shallow stuff that we're going to be dealing with today. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, he knew Greek, Latin, the classics. And I remember, you know, one of the first days, I'm like, I want to I want to learn, you know? Yeah. Well, have you read your Plato? Have you read your Aristotle? Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's the one who had me first read Dante Alighieri. Mm-hmm. Um, Machiavelli, too, his discourses on Livy. Um. Yeah, yeah, I just I, th- I think I, when yeah. when I yeah, when when I hear you talk about that relationship, it really seems like it was the sort of education that used to be the norm back in the mm-hmm. I, I almost said Greco Roman, but you were telling me he hated that. So <laughs> yeah. if we're trying to there are Greeks show some and honor there are Romans. Then, uh, yes. No, but, absolutely. Uh, yeah, just to have uh, an educated person challenge you and pour into you and you know um that's that's invaluable you know and in many ways more valuable than a degree itself would be to have that kind of personal um personal challenging happening yeah so that's cool and just even the accountability with it as well Mm -hmm. um i mean first book on christian theology the first time i was like whoa that's the trinity Mm -hmm. um without believing it was uh, a book he had me read, Early Christian Doctrines by J.N.D. Kelly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I love this man. I, I really do. Um, I'm sad he's passed. Um, 
And, you know, I, I felt this way with my grandmother um, when she passed. Uh, she died. We, we never say death. It's always passed. When she died, um, I, I don't know if I'll ever see them again. Uh, God is just. He's also merciful. And uh, I would love to see him again. Um, yeah, I my <clears throat> thoughts, prayers go out to... Um, his wife and kids and all that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I just, yeah, I wanted to mention that. Um, it, it, it's kind of a, it's interesting even on this lesson, right? We're going to be doing John 14 through 17. And, um, these were, this, these were his favorite chapters. Yeah. He, he was an expert at John. In fact, I don't know why, what was happening or didn't, he was supposed to do the commentary in the BYU New Testament series and on John. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know if that's still true or not or whatever, but, and, uh, you know, connected to Hugh Nebley as well. But um, also to today is the fifth anniversary of waking up at the news of my dad having 15 minutes left to live. Yeah. Um, and his funeral service was officiated by another man who, whom I love who died um, in December of the that same year. Um, from cancer, he was an Episcopal priest. In fact, I think the longest tenured Episcopal priest in the Western United States. Mm -hmm. And his ashes are at St. Mary's here in Provo, actually. And uh, when we, uh, I was so grateful to him at the time. I, I know there's issues or whatever based on my dad's. Was he a believer? Was he not? I, you know, probably not. Um, definitely not. Um, <laughs> I, I would say agnostic. Um, the Episcopal Church, where it is today, was okay with doing a service for him in a certain way. And I was very grateful. Uh, it's the Cathedral Church of St. Mark's in downtown Salt Lake. Um, and my grandfather, step-grandfather, um, officiated it. And <clears throat> for the homily, for the service... Um, he gave us certain passages based on the calendar day and whatnot. And John 14 was one of the passages, and he preached John 14 um, for my dad's funeral. Mm -hmm. And um, really, yeah, it, it meant the world yeah. to me. To <laughs> Going to an LDS funeral is really tough. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, the fact that we were in this beautiful building that I knew was built by believers, even if that denomination is no longer mm -hmm. Christian, I think, or orthodox, creedal in any way. Yeah. Um, the building was built with people who were. And um, that, gr that grandfather um, um, left me his library in uh, his will. Uh, not that I sought it at all. And sure enough, you know, I have his John commentary with his notes on this chapter for the homily he gave for my dad. Yep. So it's like, it's just, there's so much a lot of, <laughs> connection. Lot of connectivity going to on death. right now to John 14 to 17. Yeah. And with death and, and life and my uh, daddy issues, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, anyway, I uh, thank you, John F. Hall, for all the good you you did for me mm -hmm. and uh yeah hope he rests in peace and um god will do what he wants but you know i pray i'll see him one day again well let's get into it here we've yes. got uh john 14 to 17 so four chapters here and man again we're just not going to be able to get into these even nearly as much as we'd like to these are these are really I mean, if I was preaching through these chapters, I'd be tempted to take like a year on them, yes. you know? Um, so it's just that dense in terms of the theological content and uh, how many things ought to be slowed down on. So we're not going to be able to do it justice. I'd recommend you go read it and study it in your own time. But four chapters here. And uh, there's really in the Sunday School Manual only, uh, let's see, we got like three sections here, and then there's the additional resources. And so the first section 
Uh, coverage, John, 14, 16 to 27, 15, 26, and 16, 7 to 15. And all of those passages in particular talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit within the text. And so, uh, of course, you can already notice some of the distinctions going on when you read the subtitle in the LDS curriculum because it says the Holy Ghost helps us fulfill our purposes as disciples of Jesus Christ. So we've already touched some on what it, the distinctions are there. Uh, and then the the uh, yeah exercises for the class to do together are just kind of the typical recommendations of write stuff up on the board. Uh, what did what, what did you learn through different insights from the Holy Ghost throughout the week? Um, talk about it together in the class. And again, like just almost would be helpful to sit in on some of these classes, but. Yes. Uh, just see like what what kind of stuff is being said when it comes to what the Holy Ghost taught through this text. Um, then we jump to the second uh, se- section, which is from John 15, 1 to 12, which is, of course, the famous passage of the the Jesus saying, I am the vine. And on that section, we have, as we abide in Christ, as we abide in Christ, we will bring forth good fruit and have joy. And uh, it says, consider bringing a small plant or a picture one to class and using it to help class members visualize the Savior's teaching about the vine and branches. After reading John 15, 1 to 12 as a class, you could discuss what it means to abide in Christ. A few class members could share how they found John 15, 5 to be true. And uh, 15, 5 says this in the English Standard Version, I am the vine, you are... Uh, sorry, misread. I am the vine... No, you had it right. You are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We'll, we'll get to that, talk, to, talk about that a little bit more here in just a bit. And then the last section is covering John 17, which John 17 is just a beautiful high priestly prayer of Jesus. And uh, it says, Heavenly, this is a subtitle in the Come Follow Me curriculum, Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ are perfectly united. That's what you, you get out of this. <laughs> um, you probably can't teach all of the important truths found in John 17 in one class discussion, it says. But here's a way to help the class explore several of them. Lists on the board concepts from John 17 such as these, our relationship with Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ's relationship with his Father, our relationship with the rest of the world, our relationship with each other as his disciples. And then kind of the big point at the end here is, how does our relationship with God affect our relationships with each other? How do our relationships with each other affect our relationship with God? So it's this encouragement to think about how you need to strengthen your relationships with others Um so, yeah, and then the additional resources, there's two different sections under that this week. One is covering some things from the Holy Ghost, and so it references several passages of Scripture that could be looked up. One's from Acts, Galatians, 1 Nephi, 2 Nephi, Mosiah, Third uh, Nephi, Moroni, and uh, Doctrine and Covenants. And then there are several talks that are referenced as well there to look at on the Holy Ghost. And then the last section in the additional resources is on abiding in Christ. And this is a quote from Jeffrey R. Holland. And he writes, the sense, or probably said, the sense of this word then is talking about abide. The sense of this word is stay, but stay forever. Come, but come to remain. Come with conviction and endurance. Jesus said, without me, ye can do nothing. I testify that this is God's truth. Christ is everything to us, and we are to abide in him permanently, unyieldingly, steadfastly, forever. For the fruit of the gospel to blossom and bless our lives, we must be firmly attached to him, the Savior of us all, and to his church. I'm sorry, it says, this his church, (laughs) which bears his holy name. He is the vine that is our true source of strength and the only source of eternal life. In him, we not only will endure, but also will prevail and triumph in this holy cause that will never fail us. All right. Sometimes I just wonder, are you causing yourself to abide? <laughs> right. Or not, you know? Right. And, and notice, too, um, Christ is everything to us, 
But wait, what about Heavenly Father? Yeah. So it's Jesus 50%. Who's everything? Seven, come right. On, come on. This is one of those places they, they do Name this Name your favorite. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, if they're a them, and they do the capital T right, them. Right, uh, uh, You know, because they're different persons and beings. So two gods. Um, and yet they'll say things like, we need to know, you know, that knowing the Savior is the most important pursuit of our lives. And I think, Why? Yeah. Why not pursuing the Heavenly Father? Why not pursuing Heavenly Mother? Why not pursuing the Grandfather God? Why not Why not pursuing the path they followed by which they became who they are? Yeah. Yep. So, you know, and, and there will be plenty of quotes and material, even in this lesson, that, that do emphasize the path yeah. more than Jesus. Yep. But it's just one of these things where they say something that sounds so good, I think more because they're going for an aesthetic effect than actually being truthful right. or clear in terms of what they mean. Yeah, yeah, because you consistently, when you try to dissect this manual, you find yourself not understanding what they're trying to get at. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. just kind of, <laughs> yeah. it's just kind of like I don't know, you know. In the same quotes, even mm-hmm. you'll have like two different truth claims made that oppose one another, and yeah. kind of like. Mm, right you know yep what do i do with that exactly exactly so even just in breaking down the the concept of what it means to abide in the vine mm-hmm. right um all right let's talk you you want to go holy spirit first yeah let's do it all right what, what, uh this first section yep um well one thing i thought would be interesting to point out is that according to joseph smith the in in and I'll, I'll put the reference in the show notes, but Joseph Smith even says, note the 16, 17, 18, 21, and 23 verses of this, and said, what is this other comforter? It is no more nor less than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well. So the comforter is not the Holy Ghost. Right. The and, comforter is Jesus himself, according yeah. to Joseph Smith's comments there. It, exactly. And he does say there are, Holy Ghost is a comforter that was... He's the one on the day of Pentecost and that saints receive after faith and whatever. But the second comforter is Jesus Christ himself. Yeah. and even says the verses. Now, that, and I even have my quad whether this is, this is the case, where in the footnotes of the LDS quad, mm-hmm. the scriptures, um, it'll say topical guide Jesus Christ. That was changed. Yeah. That was changed. So where it used to have in verses 16, 18, and 23 referring to Christ, now in the scriptures, the reference is changed, and it's topical guide, Holy Ghost, mm-hmm. not Christ. So that is, I, I could, <laughs> there are people who have left the church over that. Yeah. Uh, because, I mean, to get Jesus wrong from your own prophet something else and and of course it is interesting right how much emphasis on the holy ghost is in this manual and yet um they're not very clear as to the distinction between the light of christ holy spirit and holy ghost they even include a quote from oaks that seems to contradict the distinction we've been making all year right but i'll just point out we've linked to talks like packer's light of christ and in the gospel principle gospel principles manual, they have a separate chapter on the Holy Ghost, making the distinction we've been making. Mm-hmm. But they include one from Oaks that doesn't. So, kind of kind of weird. Um, I think uh, it is interesting, even in the first paragraph of the seminary manual, that. It does distinguish the power and the gift of the Holy Ghost. This is something key, right? The Holy Ghost can use the Holy Spirit to influence anybody mm-hmm. he wants. Um, but the gift is unique to the church based on the restored priesthood authority yeah. to give it. Is the Holy Spirit available to be tapped into by any of the Godhead members? Yep. yep. So That Holy- was my understanding. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So the, the Heavenly Father can use the Holy Spirit. The I mean, it's 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 a force that fills the immensity of space. It's yeah. the light in all things. It's the truth. Yeah. It's the ultimate thing. Yeah. Uh, um, and the gods are gods insofar as they're in harmony 
with, with the those Holy things. Spirit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, or the eternal law. Exactly. If you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, but notice even in this, uh, the gift of the Holy Ghost, which would allow them through their righteousness to have the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost. So even the gift, which is unique to them, is contingent upon their righteousness to be operative. So Jesus is promising to bless them with this gift of the Holy Ghost, according to the seminary manual, and yet it promises promises this contingent thing if you are righteous enough to be worthy of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. The... Uh, Get after I get my it. notes all. <laughs> I've confused <laughs> myself here. Um, there, I mean, let's see. Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ send us the Holy Ghost too, and we fill in the blank, right? What have you felt the Holy Ghost teaching and testifying to you about Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ? So they um, they once again do that same theme of personalizing the material. Um, of how can or how does the Holy Ghost help you? Um, how how does the Holy Ghost help you with your individual needs? How might someone invite, right, through their action, through what they do, the Holy Ghost to teach them about Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ, the them, right, the two different beings and persons. And um, it is interesting that this is kind of a key to their epistemology. We've We've gone over this, pretty consistently, right? Where, and they'll use Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit almost interchangeably on a popular level. Mm -hmm. But this idea that when they feel a certain way, they think that's the Holy Ghost telling them it's true. And so if you say something that makes them uncomfortable, they'll assume that you don't have the Holy Ghost in you and it must be false but once again what's the actual testing of truth there it's one's feelings it's one's comfort and you'll notice when people even leave the lds church it's just that standard of what is comfortable changes it's rarely whether comfort itself is a thermometer for truth yeah um i think that's helpful because one of the important questions in this is when they say holy the holy ghost helps us fulfill our purposes as disciples of Jesus Christ. I want to say how, right? Right. How does the Holy Spirit accomplish that? And one of the consistent teachings we've seen is it, it's through feelings, mm-hmm. right? It's the, it's what, what feels good is good is yep. true. Uh, things of that nature. And, um, that's very different from the ways that we would say the Holy Spirit helps us. Um, in fact, we would, on the basis of some of Paul's very clear teachings, even in places like Galatians 5, um, would say this, the Spirit is a controlling Spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, that when the Holy Spirit comes into us and, uh, you know, abides in us, if we want to say it that way, that uh, that He comes and starts cleaning up shop. Mm-hmm. He, he comes and He gets busy. And He's actually doing a work in us that's apart from our own willing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, it's, it's God in us, um, you know, sanctifying us by his power, by his spirit. And so, uh, yeah, it's, and it, it sometimes that doesn't feel great. No, not right? at all. So sometimes it feels really convicting. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, you know, we, we tell people all the time who come to our church service, you, you probably haven't heard God's word preached rightly if you haven't been convicted about something, but that conviction, of course, is meant not to leave us in despair, but to drive us to Christ, who is our only hope in life and death. Right. And it's so think of their view of their heart as essentially good post fall, because it's not really a fall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so if truth is what is comfortable, then it's only as secure as how comfortable you are with your surroundings. Yeah. So, so your testimony is only as secure as the next best argument, right? Yep. Or uh, not paying attention to that anti-Mormon stuff. So just dismissing, right? And so let's say you get a headache. That must be something outside of you that's the problem. So what do you do? Uh, take a Tylenol. Yeah. You just, you know, but what if you have a tumor? Mm-hmm. Right? The spirit doesn't come in and just 
confirm everything you want to be true. Yeah. It comes in and convicts and gives you heart surgery. Yep. And that's the most uncomfortable thing ever because what we're called to do basically as Christians is die. Yep. Christianity is about death. Here, this manual's about improving your life, getting more comfortable, mm-hmm. confirming what you've grown up in or want to be part of, affirming the social dynamic that keeps you in, in spite of the truth, yeah. by calling it lies the truth, right? Yep. Like, yep. It, and, and the key epistemologically is the hedonism. And people think hedonism is, you know, just what, the rock star life. Yeah, but it's deeper than that. If you go back to Greek philosophical categories, right? Mm-hmm. Basically, it's a form of cynicism that says there is nothing beyond. So whatever feels good is as good as you're going to get. Yeah. Right? So it's cynicism. Yep. And it's ironic. This is with the name of Jesus sprinkled into it, which makes it so upsetting. This is epistemological hedonism. Feels good is good. Then they leave the church. Then it's feels good is good. Mm. <laughs> like it, that is never challenged. Yeah. Whereas this is where even Plato and Aristotle are so much of an up- upgrade mm-hmm. because both of them realized like comfort is, doesn't determine whether something is true. Yeah. Right. Regardless how you understand that. Yep. And then you bring it into these chapters, right? When the spirit convicts us of the truth, we're coming from a, a monotheism of God having created everything mm-hmm. entered into his own creation as the second person of the Trinity taking on flesh, tabernacling among us is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, right? And he is the truth. Yeah. So the Spirit drives us to who he really is. And so even if you were to limit that, and we don't as Christians, but even if you were to limit the analysis as to what Jesus they preach, what Jesus they show, what Jesus they believe in, uh, it's not true. Yeah. It's not consistent with this, the, even the text they claim to teach. And yet, because of the feels good is good, because comfort being how they're testing whether it's true, because the, how allergic we all are, not just LDS, we all are to being challenged at a presuppositional level, being challenged at the core of who we are, who we think we are, who we believe we are, who we want to be. It's so much easier... <laughs> to love what we imagine ourselves to be than to see who we really are. Mm. But I can tell you from personal experience, and I'm going to use an experience, though this isn't determining whether th- what I'm saying is true, I, I felt the Spirit as conviction. Yeah. Drawing me to the cross and recognizing that's the punishment I actually deserve and not Jesus Christ. Mm. Right? It was a call to suffering, but there was meaning in the suffering because there's a standard apart from the physical world that we live in. <laughs> That's right. There's something bigger going on, and the Bible is revealing what that is. Yeah. I don't know how to land this, but yeah. It's it's so not this, right? I mean, here it's <laughs> encourage students to continue working to recognize how the Holy Ghost is witnessing to these things in their own lives. And it's like what things? Witnessing to what? Yeah. Communicating what? And it's all about personal experience. Yep. Personal experience. Yeah. Well, one thing that I think is so curious, and um, I, I didn't look at the seminary manual, so you can you can tell mm-hmm. me if, but that John fourteen six isn't even discussed. Yeah. Um, did they cover chat. that somewhere else? I mean, just because John fourteen six is one of the clearest statements of the exclusivity of Christ, that our salvation is in Christ alone in the entire Bible. Jesus said to him, I am the way mm-hmm. and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Um, I just, I just found that interesting. But uh, again, you got to remember that all this is in the context of the same sort of talk. So Jesus is telling his people that I'm going to go, or his disciples, I'm going to go away from you. And the re- the reason the I am the way, the truth, and the life conversation even comes up is because the disciples are sitting there saying, where are you going? You know, like, what, what do you mean you're leaving us? And Jesus gets into this uh, whole conversation about it being better that he's going to leave them, even, because when he leaves, he's going to send the Holy Spirit. But 
don't forget that all this is coming on the back of this claim that I am the way and the truth and the life. And so what exactly is happening in the helping work of the Holy Spirit here? Well, the Holy Spirit is going to come and multiply the ministry of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is coming to magnify Jesus by filling all of the disciples with the unique covenantal presence of of God, Christ himself uh, dwelling within his people through the Holy Spirit so that his glory can spread out through the whole world. And so all of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to uh, fill believers who then exalt Christ and continue to do, you know, be his hands and feet are the kind of words that we'd like to use. But none of it is about just finding the help to reach your own potential, right? Or like this sort of self-exaltation way of mm-hmm. thinking that is just embedded into the LDS uh, way of, of thought. It's all about magnifying Jesus to begin with, you know? And so that's just, that's just a note to remember. And there's a lot more that we could say about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and what the purpose is, but it certainly stretches a whole lot further than, than uh, just helping us fulfill our purposes, which we know from an LDS perspective, what that is right. very different than the purpose that we would have and everything that we do. Right. On that verse specifically, um, in the possible learning activities, this is a, one of the options to start the lesson. Create a pathway through the classroom that students need to follow. Mm-hmm. And then on that verse, they have a little section on the bottom. It really isn't much, but just since we brought up that verse specifically, it says, invite students to define how Jesus Christ is the way. What? Invite yeah. students to define how Jesus Christ is the way. The Jesus, truth Jesus is defining that. He defines yeah. it, not us. And they could and notice this is this is to the teacher. So the teacher is supposed to help them define it. Mm-hmm. They said they they could find cross references and explain these roles. Students could also share experiences of Jesus Christ fulfilling these roles in their lives. So that's that's it on that specific verse. But that that whole point of him being like. A pathway. I mean, they that, they literally have that in here. How is he like hmm. a pathway? Yeah, <laughs> and looking for how the Savior promised to help those who follow Him. Mm-hmm. You know, this they have this quote from Uchtdorf in here, and Pelagius alert, Pelagius alert. Yeah, here we go. Ready for this? God wants you to find your way back to Him, and the Savior is the way. Okay, John 14, 6. God wants you to learn of his son, Jesus Christ, and experience the profound peace and joy that come from following the path of divine discipleship. Once again, Jesus isn't the way. He is an example of someone who's followed it. Right. Except where his ended in death, and well, not ended, but in terms of his mortal, the life of his mortal body, right? Um crucifixion and shame and death, right? Mm-hmm. Our, we're promised all these blessings. You know, our life's going to be great if we follow it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the sense I get from this manual. Yep. But, you know, again, I, I just think it's so important in the religious, pluralistic way of thinking. You know, Jesus' consistent teachings have been, if you want to be with me, if you want to be in the presence of God, you only get into the presence of God through me, and there mm-hmm. is no other way. Um, you know, it's not all roads lead to Rome mm-hmm. eventually. You know, it's, it's yep. there is one way to be saved and brought into the presence of God, and that's through Jesus. Mm-hmm. And and all of that is just shining through so bright, brightly through this entire text. So we get into John 15 where Jesus is explaining how this works. And he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it might bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So how are you going to bear fruit? It's by abiding in Jesus. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am him, I in him, it, he it is that bears much fruit. And apart from me, apart from me, you can do nothing. Yeah. Right? 
And so then you just get this, you know, as we abide in Christ, we will bring forth good fruit and have joy. Um, but I just, I mean, how does that work within the whole LDS system? You know, what, what, what LDS person really is thinking about abiding in Christ in this sense of drawing your entire spiritual life from him? Yeah. Um, versus just kind of seeing him as an example that shows you the way to follow the eternal law that, you know, he's already followed before you, right? Right. Yeah, totally. I mean, listen even to this and their comment on John fifteen ten. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. Okay, this is the activity for that, for this lesson. Draw a vine on the board and ask students to draw branches attached to the vine to represent themselves. Invite students to make a list of commandments on the board around the vine. Discuss how keeping the commandments helps us abide in the Savior's love and remain attached to the vine. <laughs> you know? mm. So, yeah, I mean, they, they cite this talk. Uh, and here, here's one where it's like, well, I could hear people saying, well, they, they cite this talk that makes the same point that we're trying to make. Well, uh, so it's Elder Lawrence E. Corbridge of the 70, and it's called The Way. And even the subtitle, right, is the descriptor, there is only one way to happiness and fulfillment. But listen to that. Yeah. Is that what we're saying? Yeah. Does crucifixion uh, sound happy? Yeah. yeah I, we, I just... Christ calls people to, we, we, we often refer to it as a cruciform life. Right, right. right. A you life know, that's shaped Happiness by the and fulfillment, right. Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ is the way. And let me just give two quick, well, as quick as I can, quotes here. First off, on the no other God, I can't, I can't pass this up, even though it's, it's tangential, I have to say. So this is the header of, in the talk, no other God. Okay, we know what that is. We believe in God, the Eternal Father, and in His Son, Jesus Christ, and in the Holy Ghost, citing, of course, the Articles of Faith. The plan of the Father was implemented by the Son, that we may have the Spirit of the Holy Ghost. See that? Not the Holy Ghost. Not the, the Spirit of the Holy Ghost. He sees the distinction. Yep. Um, the way of the Father is the way of the Son. He said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Yeah, like if you have three gods. Like, mm. I don't <laughs> yeah. And that's what's so funny. They talk about commandments and obedience throughout this. Like that that is the theme of the entire lesson. And how about the first commandment? Yeah. Of monotheism. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just unbelievable. They 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 fail on that one. But, you know, if you don't drink coffee, I guess you're in in approve of these leaders. I guess you can go into the temple and you you can imagine yourself worthy of it. Yeah. Um this is, this is him. This is underneath a heading called, My Yoke is Easy and My Burden is Light. Once again, this talk called The Way. Don't think you can't. We might think we can't really follow him because the standard of his life is so astonishingly high as to seem unreachable. We might think it is too hard, too high, too much, beyond our capacity, at least for now. Don't ever believe that. It's unbelievable. <laughs> That's the conference stuff. It gets worse. <laughs> While the standard of the Lord is the highest, don't ever think it is only reachable by a select few who are most able. Okay? He says this. He even says he, he, he can make us able to through the atonement. Mm -hmm. And then he says this. The Lord's way is not hard. Life is hard, not the gospel. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. And he, he, he says this. Um. Get on the path and never, ever give up. You never give up. You just keep on going. You don't quit, and you will make it. There's only one way to happiness and fulfillment. Jesus Christ is the way. Every other way, any other way, whatever other way is foolishness. And I just want to say, yeah, whatever you're talking about has nothing to do. He's basically like, stay in the church, stay on the covenant path, just, you know, forget Mountain Meadows, forget the racism, forget the lies, forget the obfuscation, forget this recent financial scandal, forget whatever. Jo forget Joseph Smith's polyandry, his yeah. pedophilia, forget all that. Forget yeah. that the Book of Mormon didn't happen. Don't give up. Forget that Brigham Young. Yes. Yeah. Forget it, all of it. Just keep going. Keep just, trying. Just stay, just stay, stay on the path. Yeah. Yep. I, you know, they often will use these different images to try to, you know, draw out their own. Well, they use these images to teach their own way of doing things, but the images can often become really confusing because I even wonder when they talk about the path and they try to say Jesus is the way, Jesus is the path. I mean, what like what do you mean by that, right? Because yeah. if I understand everything correctly, which I think I do from from everything we've been working through all year, mm -hmm. 
the path is not Jesus. No. Jesus walked the path. Yes. He is not the way. He walked on the way. Right. And so from an LDS worldview perspective, if you're understanding it rightly, Jesus is not, um, well, let me put it this way. You're not in him. He's in front of you, and you're trying to follow him. That's radically different than true Christianity. Yes. Because true Christianity teaches uh, the, the, the doctrine of union with Christ, that, mm-hmm. that in salvation, we are in a, in a mystical way that we can't understand. We are united to him mm-hmm. by the Spirit, where all of his perfections become the adequacy that we need before God a holy and righteous God so that we can enter into his presence. So our salvation is in him, meaning that he's not ahead of us on the path. Right. Um, and we're trying to follow him instead. Think of it more like he's the airplane who's taking us to our destination yep. and we're just resting in him. Exactly. And he's taking us there. Yep. And of course there's, you know, faithfulness and growth that happens on the airplane, right. but Ultimately, it's because we're in him that yeah. we're going to reach our destination. It's not because of our performance and work. So before I, I see you've got something, but I just want to read a quote from a really wonderful book. Uh, it's titled Living in Union with, with Christ by Grant McCaskill. And uh, he's highlighting uh, this this point, and he actually puts at the top of the page G, uh, John 15, 5, and, and, which says, when G, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And uh, this is what McCaskill writes. He says, there's a Latin expression that's often encountered in popular culture, sine qua non. It means without which nothing. It is an expression we use of something that cannot be omitted or set aside without voiding an endeavor entirely. Absent this thing, nothing can be done. See what he's trying to get at? Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Mm-hmm. The core claim of this book, this is him writing in the introduction of the book, he says the core claim of this book is that all talk of the Christian moral life must begin and end with Paul's statement, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Which, by the way, what does Paul say right before that? I have been crucified, crucified. with Christ. It is no mm-hmm. longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and must understand the work of the Holy Spirit rightly in relation to Christ's presence. Got to have that. This assertion is the sine qua non of the Christian moral life, which is rendered void in its absence. In other words, you can't have a Christian moral life if you don't understand that you can do nothing apart from Christ. This means that we can never talk about the moral activity of of a Christian without always in the same breath talking about Jesus. Because the goal of our salvation is not that we become morally better versions of ourselves, but that we come to inhabit and manifest in italics His moral identity. This Pauline language is mirrored by the words from John's gospel that we're looking at, quoted at the beginning of this chapter, which developed the organic representation of the Christian as a branch of Christ himself, the vine. It ought then to be unthinkable that Christian leaders would see their task as training believers to live more effectively for God without constantly leading them back to this point. Similarly, it ought to be unthinkable that preachers could ever see their task as simply explaining the passage before them and showing the moral burdens it places on their congregations without also feeling compelled to point to the one person in whom in whom all those responsibilities could be met. Who is that person? It's course jesus alone right Right. and so i think the again the confusion is like commands 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 and and the the lds faith never teaches that uh you ultimately will fail to keep up to those commandments and that's why you need to be abiding in christ apart from him you can do nothing right right? and and this is why we're we get what snippy when it comes to everybody throwing the Wilcox talk about grace at us. Yeah. There's nothing in this manual about grace. In fact, you know, what's the grace, the law. (laughs) Yeah, it really is. I mean, there's no gospel law distinction. Yeah. Yeah. Here's a quote from a talk. If you love me, keep my commandments right from this lesson Um, from uh, what's her name? Carol M. Stevens, formerly of the relief society general presidency where um, she says, we may feel at times that God's laws restrict our personal freedom, take, a, 
from us our agency and limit our growth. But as we seek for greater understanding, as we allow our Father to teach us, we will begin to see that His laws are a manifestation of His love for us, and obedience to His laws is an expression of our love for Him. So if you, if you, and once again, what what makes this so deceptive in my view? is that that's not entirely wrong. Like, we don't look at the law as a bad thing, right? We're not Marcionites. We don't think the Old Testament is the big, bad, mean God, and then Jesus Christ comes to save us from that God. There is a sense in which there is grace in him revealing himself in the law. Mm-hmm. But that's not the whole story, right? Keep reading, keep reading. And you'll, we'll see that that's not, right? We, we see the gospel, the, the, the great, that God provides the righteousness he requires in his faithful son. Yeah. And if we believe in him, if we believe in him, that righteousness is credited to our account. And that's the thing. They literally treat this like a wage. And that's what Paul says it's exactly not in Romans 4. So, but for them, right, keep in mind this verse, we've cited it a lot. Let's cite it again, DNC 131. There is a law irrevocably decreed in heaven before the foundation of this world. Notice this world. Uh, upon which all blessings are predicated. And when we obtain any blessing from God, it is by obedience to that law upon which it is predicated. Right? There's the um, one we haven't read for a while that, um, you know, if you, I the Lord am bound when you do what I say, but when you do not what I say, you have no promise. So if you keep reading in this manual, you'll see it really is. God's love is the law and man's love is obeying it. And even if you don't understand it, even if you don't do it out of love yourself, yeah, um, they they emphasize they even ha- have this test assessing your motives. They're like it's better to obey and then f- you know figure that out later. Um, they have this Oaks quote um, where he says, uh, or, or actually here's Christopherson first. It's worth reading. Will you not love him who first loved you? Talk about a perversion of a passage we would read. <laughs> then keep his commandments. Will you not be a friend to him who laid down his life for his friends? Then keep his commandments. Will you not abide in his love and receive all that he graciously offers you? Then keep his commandments. Um, so it says, how can your commitment to greater obedience based on love influence your relationship with Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ? And then as you strive to keep the commandments out of love for Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ, you will feel an increase of their love in your life. So it's you know, when we obey him freely, he will bless us freely. But why? Why does God require obedience? This is Dallin Oaks. God requires us to obey his commandments because only through that obedience, including repentance, can we return to live in his presence and become perfect as he is. Mm-hmm. That's why. And it's, you know, it's obedience is what helps us to progress and become like Heavenly Father. Yeah. That's the point. That That is the entire point of their system. And yet, even in this same lesson, even in the same lesson, they will, they have this activity. List some laws and commandments that you feel demonstrate Heavenly Father's love for you. To help you think of some commandments, you might review the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20. <laughs> but it's 23 through 17, right? Mm-hmm. So what do they leave off? I have saved you out of Egypt, right? I can't remember. I don't have it open here, but they leave off the gospel. They leave off the the grace of the Old Testament. They start with the command, and then let's see. What's the first commandment? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Okay. So what about the first? They don't cite verse 2, so it's just law. And they don't even see the irony that doctrinally they don't, they deny the first commandment. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> All right. John 17. We've got a few minutes left here. Okay. So let's do it. And John 17, their subtitle for us is Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ are perfectly united. I got to be honest. I was a little surprised that that was uh, the direction they wanted to go with that one. You know, like I would have thought that it would have been something about, you know, Jesus prayed for you or prays yeah, for right. you or some, something of right. that nature. Right. Em- emphasize you know, that, the unity. That they're actually trying to go for the interrelation between uh, their Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, I, I just wonder what they're trying to get at and drawing that out, right? Right. Which, of course, they get to the point, I guess, in the question of saying, 
uh, how does our relationship with God affect our relationships with each other? So if, if uh, Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ are perfectly united, then you should be perfectly united too, which is a fair implication of the text, right? Yeah, yes, if you get their unity right. That's right. Right? Um, Need yeah. we cover the Trinity again? I, I know, I know. <laughs> it, I mean, this definitely is a frustrating one. So they they do define something in the manual, though, that, that is helpful, mm-hmm. though wrong, of course. Um, of course, their emphasis in, on, in the um, seminary is knowing Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ, them, with a capital T, personally, right? But they do have this point where they say eternal life or life eternal, often, sim- often misunderstood to simply mean living forever. If that's aimed at us, um, I don't think that's how we define eternal life in these passages, is just simply living forever, but that's the straw man. The Savior was praying that the world would receive much more than that. Then they cite DNC 131, 1 through 4, and say that eternal life is the quality of life that our eternal Father lives. Eternal life, or exaltation, is to live in God's presence and to continue as families. And it says, consider recording this definition in your scriptures near verse 3. Yeah. So, according to verse 3, what is one of the things that is required of us to receive eternal life? One truth we learn from the Savior's prayer is that to receive eternal life, we must know Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. And then that's where they go into the knowing the Savior is the most important priority or most important pursuit. And you think, well, why not Heavenly Father? Uh, once again, it's just cross-purposes. I will say, uh, this is a verse that Brigham Young used to use when preaching that Michael or Adam was God. Mm. <laughs> um, so <laughs> this is um, an <sighs> unbelievable quotation I, that I have to include here. Um by Elder C. Scott Grow, not C. Spot Run. C. Scott Grow. This is a life. E- <laughs> this is this is life eternal. Is Thanks the, for clarifying yeah. that for us. That's, <laughs> yeah. I was really confused. Yeah, <laughs> my young friends. That's how he begins. We can begin to know God. Yada yada yada. Now he says this. The Savior tells us that the very best way to know God is to become like Him is to become like him. He taught, therefore, what manner of men ought ye to be? Verily I say unto you, even as I am. That's Third Nephi, by the way. Worthiness is essential to becoming like him. So <laughs> they, they do have a drawing activity on becoming one, but at the very end, they talk about using general conference to deepen our understanding of Scripture. Okay, this isn't deepening our understanding of this passage, there's not a note about the context. There's not a note about anything. There's not a note about high priest and his function. There's not a role, not a word about intercessory prayer. Mm. I mean, there's, it's, we, we, we were talking about this right before, how unbelievable. There was on the individual and family was manual, there? Was a there? little bit about intercessory prayer. Okay, um, I stand corrected. But yeah, I mean, it was just like a mention in passing, but yeah. Yeah, or I guess what I mean is like something to really yeah, deepen yeah. our appreciation oh, yeah. of this passage. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it's not there. Um, Instead, it's, uh, how are they one? Well, you know, they're a good team, Mm. and we should be too. Yeah. Well, you got any end notes here? Because I'm going to wrap us up by just reading the full uh, three paragraphs on God and the Holy Trinity. Um, I just think it's so, it's such a shame. Because John 14 to 17 are some of the most beautiful passages when it comes to an expression of the Trinitarian work of God in the Bible. And even the imagery of Jesus saying, we are one. I mean, what Jew wouldn't have thought of Deuteronomy, right? (laughs) Even in him saying that, of like, one God, yet yet three persons, right? Right. Um, So I'm going to finish by reading that, but... If you've got okay. last things just, here, just... Yeah, let yeah. me just... few loose ends. First off, in our first bonus episode, I spent some time on Jacob's stairway mm-hmm. that makes this point that, in fact, this is an argument against all the religions that would have ascent through something we do or become or know or are or whatever, right? The whole point is that stairway that all the religions have by which we ascend 
Yeah. No, no. Jesus Christ is that, and he's come down to us. And if you see the story of Jacob, it's at a point in his life when he deserves the least. Mm -hmm. He's estranged. He's a sinner. He's robbed his brother, whatever, you know, not not a good guy. If you want, you want a scandal of the cross, look at the story of Jacob. Um, Moreover, this point about obedience and righteousness and worthiness. Can I just, uh, I mean, in light of that, I'm just going to read the text. John 16, 28. Jesus says, I came from the Father, and I have come into the world. Mm-hmm. And now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. So, yeah, just that yeah. clear idea of I, I came from God. I came down. I, yeah. You know. Yeah. Yep. Um, it's it's powerful. Uh, the, I will include, I'll, I'll put this in the show notes, the section of the Westminster Confession of Faith on righteous and on obedience. We don't, we don't... Like I really, what came to mind as I saw all this emphasis on obedience in this manual is Jesus says, you're, you're a bunch of whitewashed tombs. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just like, obey, obey, obey. It doesn't even matter why. Just do it, and then we'll work on why later. Uh, of course, the Westminster Confession shows that true obedience has the right matter, manner, and motive, right? Matter, manner, and purpose, goal, right? It has to be for the, even the glory of God yep. for it to be truly righteous. So there can be people who are formally more righteous than we and yet, ultimately, not right. That's that's the thing. That's how Christians think about it. Yep. Um, now, I had to include a little bit of David Ridges uh, because there were just some diamond lines in here. So on um, on verse two, right? That in my father's um, house are many rooms or yep. whatever. I, I don't have it open. Of course, he's going to see that as well. See, there's three degrees of glory and all of that, and um, of course, each of which has some degree of reward and glory. So even the, the lowest kingdom is so glorious that it surpasses all understanding, DNC 76. We know from DNC 131 that even the celestial kingdom has three mansions or degrees. Thus, the Father's house or kingdom does indeed have many mansions or categories. Obviously, Jesus will prepare a place for his faithful apostles, whom he will leave shortly in the highest mansion of exaltation of his Father. So... That's that's his takeaway. There is a Joe Smith qu- quote that goes along about, you know, for those who obey a celestial law, put that in the show notes. Then this, <clears throat> on verse 12 in chapter 14, this is his comment. This, this is what I'll end on. Um, Master, in this promise to his apostles, when they are exalted and have become gods, they will indeed do greater works in the common sense of the word. It's like, well, when... <laughs> So, so after all these things I'm going to add to the text, then the common sense of the word will make sense. Mm-hmm. They will have spirit offspring. So once they're married and exalted and, of course, perhaps polygamist, uh, they will have spirit offspring, will create worlds, and as gods will do even greater, more magnificent and higher things than they ever saw Christ do mm. while he was among them. Yeah. that That is... Can, can, which Joseph, what, Joseph Smith, by the way, made that claim yep. while he was on earth. Yeah. I've yeah. done greater things than Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. He could keep a church together, which, yeah. Uh, say that to the however many Mormon groups there are. Mm-hmm. And in fact, in some sense, there's as many Mormon groups as there are Mormons. But yeah. can, can you just think of that? Can you imagine a Christian of any denomination, a believer, right? East, what, doesn't matter, saying that... When they once they become gods, they will do more magnificent, greater, and higher things than they ever saw Christ do. Mm-hmm. The cross, like it, not that's not good enough. You're going to do even better things. Yeah, yep. Well, yeah, it's a little different than uh, <laughs> what Christians have always believed. Indeed. indeed. <laughs> uh, All right, here we go. Paragraph three. I'm, I'm going to skip the first two paragraphs. Okay. Just, you know. In this divine, th- this is paragraph three of the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. In this divine and infinite being, there are three subsistences the Father, the Word or Son, and Holy Spirit. Of one substance, power, and eternity, each having the whole divine essence yet the essence undivided. The Father is of none, 
neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father. The Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son. All infinite, without beginning. Therefore, but one God, who is not to be divided in nature and being, but distinguished by several peculiar relative properties and personal relations. Which doctrine of the Trinity is the foundation of all our communion with God and comfortable dependence upon Him? Thanks for listening. Looks like uh, next week we'll be looking at Luke 22 and John 18. Not my will, but thine be done. Garden of Gethsemane. Hey,